so uh, I've watched a lot of Dahmer things. I watched a Dahmer reenactment movie. I watched Dahmer and Me. I think I can't remember if that was like a cartoon, but there was one uh, like about a guy who was like friends with Dahmer when they're in grade school. It wasn't was like about called... uh, Jeffrey Dahmer and his dog. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, there's one called The Dahmer Files, I think, and it's interviewing people who knew Dahmer. So one of the people was the cop who interviewed Dahmer and got him to confess. One of them was like his neighbor. He brought down a sandwich and gave her a sandwich to eat one day. And like at one point in her interview, she's like, I ate a sandwich that he made for me. I probably ate a person, probably <laughs> ate a person. You could tell she was just like freaked out, completely freaked out that he probably, I mean, the truth of it is he probably gave her, I think he confessed to her. Some, somehow it, he says that he gave her a human meat to eat. Do you think he would go that far? Oh, yeah. Do I think he'd go that far? doesn't seem... Yeah, of course. doesn't seem like something he'd do. Make somebody else eat human flesh. You think that's the line? Yeah, there's I think that's his line. I think there's there's only so much Jeffrey Dahmer would do. I think you're demonizing him. You're right. I mean, you could, you could drill a hole into somebody's brain, fill it with Clorox, trying to zombify them, but making someone eat human meat, that's too far. Yeah. I think so. Welcome to a very thankful edition of Lost and Found and Rewound. I'm Chris Lost. Uh, I'm Found Jim. And I am Rick Rewound. And we should say, as we start the episode, that there was a major political event in our country recently where our incumbent leader lost an election and now refuses to participate in his duties. So my question to you both is, what happens to the turkey if he doesn't pardon it? We were just talking about Jeffrey Dahmer and the sadistic things that he would do with meat. I think he'll cut the turkey's neck live on television and blame Joe Biden for the death of the turkey. <laughs> that was my question. I was going to ask, will it be beheaded on every major network th Thanksgiving morning? <laughs> so I think so. I wouldn't put it past. It's a new, new tradition. Yeah. Yeah, blood sacrifice. I think that's what we're missing in our uh, political system is blood sacrifice. We haven't had enough of that. It's, yeah, it's going back to going back to Wicker Man yeah, or something. Exactly. It should it should be definitely more Wicker Man <laughs> happening. Speaking of food, I should say that Lost and Found and Rewound is brought to you by the good people at Lito's Pizza. For the best pizza and shrimp dinner around, it's all good at Lito's. Fellas, want to do something special for the missus? Instead of whipping up that usual Tuesday night chicken divan. Have a delicious pizza meal delivered just minutes before she gets home from the office. Lito's Pizza in Countryside, Illinois. It's all good at Lito's. Order online at orderlitospizza.com. Are they giving us money? <laughs> no, don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm looking at my bank account and I'm not seeing I'm not seeing any bump there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to keep them open. If we're going to keep the show going. <laughs> You just want it's 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 purely self-interest. It's like you want to make sure that it's open when we actually get back together in person a year from now. I take it even further. How are we getting back together if they're not open? <laughs> I hate to tell you this, but I haven't been eating cheese lately, so I don't even know if I would eat a pizza. Lots has changed in oh. the world, man. I think you're going to have to you deal with it. You can get order a pizza <laughs> without cheese. That's, right. That's true. Yeah, you can. My kids can't have dairy. We order pizza all the time. What's the point? So now it's time for a segment we like to call I Apologize. 
<laughs> I want to apologize to Rick for being overly antagonistic on this podcast. I've been listening back to some episodes, and sometimes I really am that infuriatingly ignorant, and sometimes I just try and get Rick's goat, so that's not a friendly thing to do, so I'm sorry, Rick. Oh, as long as it makes makes for good good radio and keeps the sponsors happy. Right, exactly. Once again, our sponsor, Lito's Pizza. Go on, order pizza to, right now. Order one right now. On behalf of Richard, Richard Attenborough, I want to apologize to Walter Hill for ripping off the Cyrus scene in Warriors. I forgot to mention last episode that at the 55 minute 48 second mark, there's a scene in Gandhi that is clearly a nod to the Cyrus speech in the Warriors, you know, the can you dig it speech. If you watch that, you can see that Richard Attenborough totally ripped off Walter Hill. Wow. Check it out. That's pretty that's pretty strong meat there. I checked the dates. 77 was Warriors, 82 was Gandhi. Yeah. I had David Attenborough in my head. I, I was thinking, I was like, how is he going to tie the Warriors into some nature documentary? <laughs> David, David Attenborough ripped off the Warriors? I was, I was confused. I saw him talking to the Queen one time. That was interesting. David or Richard? David. They had him walking around talking to the Queen. That's all my wife is watching now is the crown. Yeah, I almost got interested. Like people are having mixed feelings about Margaret Thatcher now. Oh, I just, speaking of, of Thatcher, England and stuff, I, I just watched Arthur Matthews, who co-wrote Father Ted. It was actually with Richard Herring, was interviewing him. And Richard Herring mentioned this skit that he had written, Arthur Matthews, yeah, he had written for this, this other comedian, uh, Kevin Eldon, who's in stuff like Black Books and things, or he he's, he's, shows up and... But he had his own TV show I'd never really seen. But he mentioned this skit, and I looked up it up on YouTube, and it's it's there, of course. Type in Kevin Eldon and Sex Pistols. I think the video's from 76. Was that... She didn't... I think she got that, elected in 79, right? After, but she was... Yeah, she was, was later. Already, uh, this, Sex Pistols was earlier. Yeah, they weren't they, reacting to her. No, they were, but, but she might have been... Yeah, she was already pretty... I think she was well-known by then. She was that... I think she yeah. was the head of the conservative party by then, right? Guys, I was a narcissistic monster, self-involved monster in the 80s. Can you help me out? Was Margaret Thatcher good or bad? I don't. <laughs> I didn't I didn't care and you know, I don't know. She was she was like Reagan. She helped launch a thousand great albums. <laughs> right on. If you're a minor, you probably wouldn't like her. <laughs> Miners didn't like her. That. That's very specific. Literally, yeah. literally, yeah, the miners. Not young people, but, you know, people who work underground. <laughs> young people didn't like her either, though, I think, a lot yeah, of them. Yeah. I would argue that she set in motion cutting of social services than, than Reagan did. I wonder if this is the first time she's being portrayed on film. I think it's just that, yeah, what's, what's her name from X-Files is attractive, and so people are like, I don't want to be attracted to Margaret Thatcher. Gillian Anderson? Gillian Anderson, that's right. It's causing confusion with people. They don't want to be attracted to or feel empathy for Margaret Thatcher. Well, attractive people aren't bad people. <laughs> exactly. I know. It's, it's <laughs> I did. I, I actually read some stuff about Margaret Thatcher because I haven't watched The Crown, but I read. I'm more in depth about Margaret Thatcher. I, I only kind of know superficial political stuff, but like her background and everything like that is, she, is about class and everything like that, and she. 
she made a pretty substantial leap in the class system. Margaret Thatcher did so in, in a way she's, she's an outsider. I never realized that. I just assumed because she had that posh accent that she was the equivalent of David Cameron, Tony Blair, all those kind of rich kids who, regardless of what party affiliation they had, they all went through the same elite system. But Boris Johnson, Johnson. right? Yeah, They're, they all went to school together, right? They're all from the same Pink Floyd, the wall uh, meat grinder, right? That's that's how you have to, Americans interpret, Americans our age just interpret all of England, right, is through the lens of Roger Waters. <laughs> If you can't eat your meat, you won't get your pudding. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's that's how we understand the UK. By posh accent, do you mean British accent? No, I mean that she she was not she <laughs> upper class. She did not yeah. come from the upper classes. Her dad was a store shopkeeper or something. And so that's the kind of story you hear in America all the time, right? Even if it's sometimes bullshit, it's pretty substantial what she did in terms of leapfrogging in the uh, class system in the UK. Steve Jobs did it. Yeah, Steve Jobs. Yeah. I don't know. Was he good looking? He's kind of weird looking. Now I think about it. <laughs> My final apology is for saying that Brokeback Mountain had two of the great superhero movie villains in it. Brokeback Mountain, of course, had three hmm. of the great superhero villains in it. So I'm sorry for that mistake as well. Who's the third? Well, there's Heath Ledger. He won the Oscar for his role as the Joker. And then Jake Gyllenhaal, I thought was a great Mysterio and Spider-Man Far From Home. And then Anne Hathaway uh, rivaled Eartha Kitt as Selena Kyle in The Dark Knight Rises. Pop quiz for you guys. What did Kitt stand for in the hit TV show Knight Rider? Oh, man, that's a good one. I should know that. We will go to Rick first. (laughs) Thanks a lot. Night Industries, Tactical something. Jim, you can steal. Rick is wrong. That's very close. That's that. That's. I was thinking. I was like, I got the night. The K must be night something. I forgot about Night Industries. You're still in the game. You're still in the game, Jim. Night Industries, Tactical. Two thousand. Run out of letters. Two (laughs) thousand. Two thousand. Night Industries. Really? 2000? So is it K-I-T-T? 2000. K-I-T-T. K-I-T-T. Okay. Just like Eartha Kitt. 2000? Wow. That's what's T-T. Yeah, I I never, I always thought it was just K-I-T. K-I-T-T. 2000. That seems (laughs) like lazy writing. It it does, doesn't it? That's why I thought it was funny. Anyway, and then the uh, last thing is we should thank Marv from Pods Like Us for having us on his show. We're, uh, we taped a show with him last week. Presumably by the time this comes out, it won't be out yet, but it will be out soon enough. So thank you, Marv, for having us on. Yeah, guys, thanks. guys, any messages for Marv? <laughs> it was fun. Yeah, it was, fun. it was great. I hope we didn't keep him up too late. He was six hours later oh, in yeah. England. Right. It was like after, way after midnight. We talked a long time, but. He seemed fine with it. It did. Yeah, but their day is like set around our day, right? Like every... <laughs> That's right. It's, we, our clock is the, the clock that rules all. So, yeah, the rest of the world follows our, our, our schedule. I'm pretty sure that's what happens. You know, I have a crackpot theory about time zones. I have a theory that um, Midwestern kids from our generation are different 
and have a more fleshed out sense of humor because all the late night shows were on an hour earlier for us. Because mm. if you think about like having to watch Saturday Night Live when you were a kid at 11.30 at night and it ending at 1 in the morning instead of 10.30. And it was the same on both, like on the West Coast, right? Yeah. yeah it was... That's 100% correct, that theory. I mean, yeah, that, that aligns good. with all... No, I believe that because I believe that yeah. I was raised by television. I mean, and I definitely watched Letterman and I watched... Uh, S- uh, SCTV. SNL. SCTV, I did watch SCTV. So, yeah. Even the SCTV was on late here too, though. I mean, since on the weekends, it was on... It was late. It started at 11.30, like Saturday Night Live on the coast, so... That was definitely late here also. Yeah. Awesome. So why are the Canadians such so funny? Or is it just because they're weird? Because they're Canadian? <laughs> I guess I would have to look at their television schedule in the 1970s and 80s, and then I'd be able to tell you. <laughs> Rick, what media have you been consuming? Oh, geez, lately? you know what? I don't think I've been keeping track. I'm getting, like, I used to at least keep track of that. Now it's, you know, after that whole discussion we had with Marv about how prepared you are, Chris, that revealed the lack of preparation I do for the show compared to what you do. And now I'm thinking that I didn't even prepare the minimal amount that I used to prepare. Like <laughs> you got to at least do that. got to at least yeah, keep track of your, your watch list. I'm, I'm looking at it. I did watch the Halleck's documentary that Jim talked about last time, which was great. I did too. The bass and you didn't even mention Mike Post in that documentary. Well, oh, yeah. That yeah. was, was a surprise. It was a, yeah, it was great. Saved it. So you were, yeah. So, yeah, that was amazing. I don't know who Mike Post is. He's the composer who did every single TV show <laughs> in the oh yeah yeah eighties, like Magnum PI, and they went through all his credits, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah he was great. Doogie Rock, Doogie Hauser, your favorite, Chris, <laughs> one of your favorites. I do love Doogie Hauser. Rockford Files was definitely their their breakthrough. Him and Pete Carpenter was the older guy, the kind of. I think old school film TV composer that he partnered up with. He was like the rock and roller. I get the feeling at Mike Post, and mm-hmm. then they had that Rockford Files breakthrough. A Team, right? Did the A Team theme? Hey, that's a great yeah. song. Can, can I be clear about something? I don't. I never watched the show Doogie Howser, but I did draw down on the concept a lot in conversation, <laughs> like the, the idea of a kid who was so smart he could be a doctor. I remember some lyrics you singing something about yeah. Doogie Hauser, so I assumed you were obsessed with the show. But Well, it's a song called Dancing Sarah, and it's about a, a friend of ours dancing how good of a dancer she was, and the line was, you may be smart, but you know you ain't no Doogie Hauser, and when little Sarah's dancing, you know we're all the eyes in the Hauser. Which I was pretty, <laughs> I was pretty proud of that. <laughs> Love getting in a Doogie Howser reference. <laughs> Sorry. But I've never seen the show. Never seen one full episode ever. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't know. That actually makes me think less of Mike Post that he did the theme to Doogie Howser. I've never seen it. <laughs> yeah, not to go too deeply into this, but yeah, just because a kid's smart doesn't mean that he has the adult mind to uh, operate, have empathy for other human beings and make them better. I mean, he's still a teenager, right? Is that what the yeah, show? It's a terrifying yeah. show. I don't, concept. I don't think empathy is a quality you want in a surgeon. Right, that's true. Actually, yeah, I remember that was, I had a song about that. It's just like I read an article about how doctors actually, better doctors are more closer to being uh, psychopaths than being empathetic. You have to be able to 
mm. treat a human as a object if you're going to cut into them and you know possibly lose you know lose them on the table if you make a mistake you, you can't really be too invested in who the, those people are yeah like think about if jeffrey dahmer were a surgeon he'd be incredible yeah didn't just think a, a little bit of education maybe a little just to push in another yeah. direction and it makes me think i just mm -hmm. spent a huge amount of time talking to my younger son about who the unabomber was and i can't remember why but just all those just the whole story of the Unabomber, the fact that, you know, he was a Chicago public school kid that was very intelligent and went to Harvard when he was 16. You know, kind of the Doogie Howser scenario <laughs> turned upside down. And that was at the time that, that not, not just Timothy Leary, but other, there was a guy there who's doing a lot of research for the military on kind of like brainwashing or how to manipulate people. And Ted Kaczynski, 16-year-old from Chicago, gets dropped into the Harvard environment with a bunch of people two to four to... 20 years older than him and then is part of this experiment that this psychology professor is doing and is really terrible sounding like this you know the classic 50s 60s psych experiment stuff that movies are made about um mk ultra subjected. and prison experiment yeah and like the stanford those, yeah stanley milgram <laughs> the psychologist the researcher Milgram experiments. Um, yeah, yeah. So that environment, yeah, Ted Kaczynski was in that environment. And, and yeah, there's some very persuasive, I think somebody wrote a book about it, some persuasive arguments that that environment made him who he was. I don't think college is, is for education. I think it's for maturation. And so sending a 16-year-old to college, that's the dumbest thing you can do. He's not, it should yeah. be for 18 to 22-year-olds to grow up and, you know, learn how to drink without throwing up. Because now the research shows that people that age, 18 to 24, you, you know, 18 to 22, your, your brain is still really plastic and susceptible to impulse. You have problems with impulse control and everything like that. And so, yeah, people don't like to acknowledge that a large part of college is kind of young adult daycare. Yeah, right? It's exactly. just kind of That's warehousing exactly them until they're ready to actually be adults like what what you well, would term her, her as mom adult. went to college when yeah. she was 16 yeah she was fine but she she commuted she didn't <laughs> yeah. so that's different yeah she didn't go and to actually, harvard right yeah. they were well she went to brown right but later she later to, she wasn't oh, 16 oh. At, at at an ivy league yeah no. she yeah went later In chicago yeah. a friend of our parents knew the kaczynski's yeah knew knew his younger brother was the same age as his younger brother the the one who turned him in actually tim turned his young his younger brother turned you know talked to the fbi and said i think my brother's the unabomber i was just going to say there was that spread in time magazine after he was arrested years ago and they had his yearbook photo from chicago like the high school in chicago and one of our dad's college friends was you know in the photo of all the people from the high school i think my dad was like uh -huh. oh i just saw you you know send an email to his friend or and you know called his friend and said hey, i just saw you in time magazine you're, you're in the yearbook photo you know of you know the classic yearbook photo where they show the serial killer or the hollywood star and you know all those other <laughs> random people that are you know next to them in the the yearbook so jim you're reading the new york times and they're publishing a letter from a man who's been blowing up people through the mail. You read it and you realize Rick has written this letter. <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> um, well, I, I call you first, Chris. I, first off, I ask you your advice, I think. I think that's what I do. 
So, so what would you, what would you tell him? What would you, t- what would you tell me, Chris? <laughs> he did it. Ricky did it. It's He's classic. the best at hard hitting questions. <laughs> Just a pure deflection. <laughs> Let me ask you, okay, this question, how old am I when you call me? <laughs> we've known each other since, I mean, we've known each other as friends since I was 19 years old, I would say. So that's your yeah. range, 19 to 50. How old am I when you call? <laughs> Ooh, I don't know. Let's say 25. Ooh, sorry, Rick. That's where I hit my self-righteous period. It would be, it would be, you've got to turn him in for his, for his, for his sake and for the sake of the people he's blowing up. I, honestly, I tell you when, I mean, if, if I would write something like that, I would disguise my writing style. So it wouldn't be instantly familiar to Jim. That was me writing. I'd know in the back of my mind, you know, Jim would probably tell Chris about this. So I'm going <laughs> to. And right Chris in would a, probably turn me in that self-righteous yeah. asshole. Yeah, so I'm going to change my voice for these letters that I'm publishing, these manifestos. I'm glad you're in that mindset because the hard next hard-hitting question is for you, Rick. You're around one of your exploits. Somebody blows up, right, and, and a piece of them falls into your bag because you're just kind of watching to see what happens. You, you go home. It, would you make a sandwich out of that piece of person <laughs> that fell into your bag and would you feed it to a neighbor or is that where you draw the line? I definitely, I'm, I'm a vegetarian. I'm a vegan right now. I think, I think humans fall under the umbrella of meat, right? Yeah, I didn't ask if you would eat it. Oh. I'm asking if you would feed it to a neighbor. Would you, give, would you make it as a barbecue sandwich and give it to your neighbor? That's an interesting question. What do you think I would do, Jim? <laughs> it doesn't work the same. He does <laughs> yeah. it so much better. Um, Jim thinks you'd call me and ask. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I'd, I'd maybe go over and say, would you like this? I, I found this piece of meat in my bag. I don't eat meat. Would you like it? I hate to see it go to I waste. I hate to see it go to waste. This looks like a nice cut. I'd hate to see it go to waste. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's the next thing on your list, Rick? Most of what I've been watching has been with my younger son. So it's I watched Tokyo Drift, which I didn't realize yes. is, is like... What little I know about the Fast and Furious universe, none of those people, well, they were. Somebody showed up right at the end, right? Um, but it's kind of like Halloween 3, right? We talked about Halloween 3 recently. It's kind of like the Halloween 3 of the Fast and Furious franchise, right? That's sort of the beauty of that series. Is The first film was a Point Break ripoff. The second film was a loose sequel. Uh, the third film, Tokyo Drift, was, like you say just completely way out there, had almost nothing to do with it, and that had that character Han in it. Uh, and then I think somebody, I think Vin Diesel shows up at the end or something, makes a cameo. Yeah. And then I can't remember what the fourth one was like, but I think five, from five on, James Wan took over the universe and wove all those films back into it masterfully. I mean, actually, you know, I know you guys aren't too high on uh, tentpole action films, but there's something to be said for what James Wan did to rescue what was really just a series of crappy movies with some nice adrenaline moments in them. Back into what is now, I, I would consider a, another superhero series of films. But you guys don't care because you don't like those movies. How would, did you like Tokyo Drift? I, I thought it was okay. I haven't seen any of those movies yet. <laughs> should, I, should I watch them? 
I should watch them all, right? And there's so many. How many of there's like nine of them? Seven? There's British people in them. So you might like that. (laughs) Yeah, actually, there'll probably be somebody. Yeah, we'll show up. You'll be like, oh, that's so and so from, yeah, the uh, the minister's wicket or something. (laughs) (laughs) I'm tempted to, yeah. I guarantee it. Better late than never. What's her name is in it? The um, she's the older, gorgeous British woman. Plays um, she plays the the mother of the two British villains. Um, boy, I can't remember her name, but she's like in a hard nosed British cop TV show that I'm sure you've probably watched. Jim, we'll figure it out later. What else have you watched, Rick? So the Alex Ryder TV series, which is Alex Ryder is something that like 11 or 12 year old boys read. It's like James Bond for 12 year olds, even though James Bond is for 12 year olds also, but it's a teenager who's a spy, <laughs> a British spy, and they've made a TV series. And this is, this is how warped already uh, my younger son has been by not just my influence, but also his uncle's influence because of, from watching Taskmaster, there was a character, one of the kids in the show, um, my son said, is that, is that Noel Fielding's child? He looks like Noel Fielding. Is that Noel Fielding's kid? And I was like, what other, you know, 11-year-old in central Illinois is asking that kind of question, right? And then, so already spinning him off into weirdness, right? And then I looked up the kid, and it's, no, it's not uh, Noel Fielding's son. It's uh, Arthur Cave. I can't remember which twin of Nick Cave's sons, whichever one didn't die. Is is uh, is a character wow. in the show, Nick Cave's kid. I was like, oh no, that's Nick Cave's kid. And then we watched a Nick Cave video. So that was <laughs> I'm dooming this child to Did you take him aside and punch him in the stomach just to say, you know, you need to get used to this? Exactly. <laughs> it's just so weird. You could have taken the opportunity to like introduce him to Vim Vender's movies, <laughs> like because Nick Cave's in right. Wings of Desire right, exactly. like, to play the, the band and one scene. Yeah, instead of Skeleton Tree, I made him watch. I was like, oh, what Nick Cave video? And I was trying to think of what video to watch. And then we watched, uh, is it called Jesus Alone or something? Oh, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a devastating song. And it's <laughs> filmed by the guy who did uh, The Killing of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. That, that guy oh. has mm-hmm. shot a really great Nick Cave film. Speaking of um, the Roger Deakins, the Deacon, Team Deacons podcast, a cinematographer interviews Roger Deakins and his wife about seven or eight scenes from the killing of Jesse James. And it's, it's like an hour and a half, maybe two hour conversation about like the minutiae of the lighting in that movie and how great that movie is. So I love that movie. Oh, it's amazing. Do you guys movie. like that movie? Yeah. I haven't haven't seen. Oh, it. Oh, you you have to see it. Yes, it's very. Uh-huh. It's and that's that's what we're talking about. Is like how film nerds, especially cinematography nerds, like even more specific, are just nuts over that movie. And then how little <laughs> attention it got. I don't know what the details are, but like Roger Deakins was like, I don't understand why. Uh, what is it, Andrew Dominic? I, I can't remember his name. He hasn't directed more films. He's done a little bit. It's definitely one of the first films I saw where it was like, okay, Terrence Malick is a genre now. It's not just that people are 
you know, <laughs> making films that reference Terrence Malick, it's like, oh, this is a whole genre. There's so many movies that do Terrence Malick things, <laughs> right? That it's, I don't think it's simply an influence anymore. It's not like, oh, I'm going to do the Terrence Malick thing. It's really like, oh, he created a genre, which is, to me, bigger than, well, you could say maybe Alfred Hitchcock did that, right? But even like you think about Stanley Kubrick, he's got a style and they're people who try to be Kubrick, but I feel like somehow people who do these Terrence Malick movies, it's, it's more expansive than that, right? It's like the cinematography and the natural, the scenes of people just out in nature and all that kind of stuff. And that's the thing about the Jesse James film is it's, even if he's doing a Terrence Malick movie, he's, do, he's doing it on the same level as Terrence Malick. I'm with you, Rick. I think it, I think it is a genre, and I think you can, if you do it well, it's not stealing because I think there's a commitment there that requires a tremendous amount of artistry that you can't just rip off. Ari Aster arguably could be doing Malick-esque horror. Some of those longer beautiful scenes in Midsommar were Malick-esque, I would argue. Yeah, yeah. I watched the Borat movie. It's not my thing, but it hit pretty hard home anti-Semitism and didn't let off the idea that we're, in addition to good old American racism, there's there's still a strain of anti-Semitism in the world, too. So I that's, that's a weird takeaway from the movie, but that's I thought that was interesting when I was watching it. I don't like people being fooled and being put in uncomfortable situations. I, I thought it was funnier when he was making fun of himself. Like when they did things that made them look like clowns, and people were reacting to it. I thought that was the fun part of the movie. And I thought the girl, or the woman, I'm sorry, that played the girl in it was fantastic. I thought she was really good. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. None of that could have been pulled off without her. Kansas City. Food-wise, a city famous for its barbecue. But that's about to change. My name is W. Dave Keith, host of the podcast Taco the Town, and I believe that Kansas City is one of the most underrated, underappreciated, up-and-coming taco towns in the USA. On Taco the Town, we will shine a light on all the amazing tacos Kansas City has to offer. Kansas City is a great taco town filled with a variety of untapped taco stylings and flavors, and on the Taco the Town podcast, we won't stop until we've tasted every taco in the town. No taco table will go unturned. Each episode, we review a new taco Taco joint with a special guest. We share taco memories, discuss taco topics, and put tacos to the test. We check the latest stories in taco news, and no taco is off the table on Taco the Town. If you love tacos, like I do, you're gonna love Taco the Town. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and Google Play. That's Taco the Town. All right, Jim, on that high note, what did you watch? What was your consumption, media consumption? Going back to Marv's interview with us, I brought up the movie uh, Letter Never Sent. Yeah. And I hadn't watched that in a while because I, I'd said it was one of my favorite movies. And so I, sh- I figured I should watch it again to see if it, if it really was one of my favorite movies. Or <laughs> And it is. It's, it's really good. It, it's like a Russian movie. I don't know. Yeah, like you said, I don't know if this is coming out before or after the interview. Or... Oh, it doesn't matter, Jim. Yeah, I know. It's all it's we reference things. It's a different that, show. We reference stuff that hasn't come out all the time. That's what <laughs> right. we do on this show. That's what this. That's what this is all about. Right. I, I forgot. 
But yeah, it's like the Russian movie from like 1959 or 60, and it seems like a really old-fashioned movie. Like it could have come out 30 years, like in the 1930, early 30s or something. But it's just about uh, geologists who go on a into the heart of the, of Siberia in the summer on this expedition looking for diamonds. I forgot that's what they were looking for. It's just a beautiful black and white movie. It's very melodramatic. It's a bit hammy in places. It's very Soviet and a bit propaganda. It's still really great. It's just so beautiful. It's mainly the cinematography and pulling out all the stops, stuffing the film full of camera tricks and infrared film and superimposing double shots, like lots of things superimposed onto each other. And It's uh, infrared black and white? Yeah. I thought infrared film had a sort of a reddish tone to it, but are you saying that that reddish no. tone isn't on it? No, no. Infrared black and white, it makes anything with like chlorophyll, like anything, any green plants turn white. Back in the film days, you know, I, I shot some black and white uh, still film. It's really cool. It was, it was really fun to shoot stuff. It's hard. To, it's not that hard, but but to do it in movie film, I think is pretty difficult. This is the only movie I've ever seen with infrared and infrared film, black and white film also is kind of grainy, really grainy. And yeah, all the trees look white and it has to be from shooting film, infrared film. I remember it being, it's really slow because you have to use a filter. You don't have to have an infrared filter, but you can use like a really deep red filter. So it's, you gotta, you have to do it in bright sunlight or else a tripod with really long exposure. So to do it with a movie camera, obviously it's gotta be really bright and really bright lens. So the shots in this movie are very blurry and there's, it's them running through the forest and it's all white and it's still sh sharp. You can see stuff, and it's amazing. And I've just never seen that in another movie. I mean, people kind of fake stuff now, like with digital. Like I was thinking of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? The Coen Brothers movie, where I remember seeing a, something, probably a documentary, a little thing on the DVD or something of, of them doing describing what they did, like the digital tricks. Like what are the, the sirens? They, you know, lure them there at the river and... They did a bunch of stuff with the film. At some point, there's digital processing going on, and they it's all changed, like from the real shots, you know, and they show the difference, and I never even thought of that, you know. It was kind of the beginning of all that stuff when people started messing with the digital stuff, and it completely changes the whole mood. It was like, I think it made it look more autumnal or something. But So it's much easier to do stuff like that now, but back in... 1959 or whatever it's just yeah it's like oh let's shoot let's shoot this infrared film and it, it must have been hard to do because i've like i said i've never seen it in any other movies really but i'm sure it's somewhere but hmm. i've seen plenty of still photography in infrared but yeah movie film is different but it's only a few shots it's just this one part of the movie but it really stands out but the rest of it is gorgeous i started watching uh another british tv show i'd watched a long time ago is uh Watching them again, it's called Omega Factor. It's Louise Jameson left Doctor Who. She was like, what's her name? She was Leela, right? The yeah. companion Doctor Who. And she left. This is probably the first thing she did after she left. That It's like 1979 or something. It's only one. I think they. it was just one year. It was like six or seven episodes or something like that. It's like all filmed in Edinburgh, Scotland. It's really moody and interesting you're talking about pink floyd there's lots of pink floyd actually gets played so i have a feeling somebody must have known <laughs> i've never read anything like did they know somebody in the production they asked could we play some of this stuff because it's just like a bbc production i don't know if you, you have to pay pink floyd 
you know, yeah. to have your song in the, it just doesn't seem like there would be a budget for Pink Floyd music. But yeah. a few times in a few episodes, there's they're just playing Pink Floyd records. <laughs> and it's like, was it like Saucer Full of some... Secrets, Pink Floyd, or was it no, like... No, no, like Current. It was, yeah, this was like 1979. Crazy Diamond, that kind of stuff? Uh, yeah. Wish You yeah. Were on, Here, on the run, Pink Floyd? The one with the... the... I, arpeggiator no it's just the really drifty some of the really i can't try to think of what you know like just the really moody stuff but there's just a few scenes where there's like i just figured there's some kind of connection someone or they they knew somebody it was a friend of somebody it was like in pink floyd and they're like oh sure you can i like this show or something you can use that but it's just it's like a it's almost like a precursor to like x files or something or well i guess you know like is it Chris Carter who made X Files? I remember saying that he was influenced by, uh, you know, Kolchak, Night Stalker. Oh yeah, Night Stalker. Yeah. So maybe this Omega Factor was influenced by Night Stalker or something. I don't know. It's it's different, but it, it's more like uh, X Files. But it's before. It's after Kolchak, but or Night Stalker, but before X Files. So it's like yeah, 1979. But it's about this reporter. So he's he's like an investigative journalist, and but he's got telekinetic whatever he's he's psychic powers he's got esp and stuff and so he gets involved with the secret kind of government organization but then there's this other secret not government this other secret evil organization called omega or something that he starts uncovering and a lot of like unresolved stories it just kind of there each episode is kind of loosely connected but it's like basically they're just investigating some happening you know like like X-Files, they go off and look for, you know, there's some specific thing, some weird paranormal activity is happening. So Louise Jameson, who's in Doctor Who, is like his partner, and she's like a doctor, or a PhD, like a psychiatrist or something. I can't remember what she is, but... She, they, plays, the, just, the, she the, plays the Angelian character on the, the show. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. It, Why couldn't they have um, gotten her to beat Thatcher? Right, why you got to get a U.S. person? <laughs> it's not like uh, Night Stalker. It's not as funny. You know, it's serious and it, it's kind of heavy-handed and a lot of like natural light. You know, they, a lot of it was filmed, you know, outside and it looks just looks really cool. And the whole episode, whole series, kind of just ends because I think it got canceled and they were probably planning on something, you know, in the next year, next season. But it sort of just kind of ends. So <laughs> it's not satisfying in that, but it's just a whole. It's very moody, so that that's what I liked about it. But you know, there's an actor friend was, of mine. I, I won't I won't name him, but he uh, we were watching. I made him watch Kolchak, the Night Stalker, the whole series. I bought it <laughs> on eBay back when you could only watch things on DVD. And one of his comments was, "Look, if these people aren't good looking, you wouldn't put people that look like this on television nowadays. This is real television." Like he was really proud of how like unattractive uh, Kolchak was, and he's like, "And look at this woman he's dating. Normally they'd put they'd pair this ugly old man up with some like twenty year old bombshell. Look, this woman is just a regular woman. Like he's basically saying, you know, she was not, you know, she wasn't unattractive, but she was just, you know, looked like our, you know, our my mom, you know, in the in the seventies. So it was." He, he thought, you know, good on that show for representing real people. Yeah, that, that's kind of like, I guess, what I like also about British TV even now, current stuff is like that. There's all this stuff I watch is like kind of normal people, especially in British TV. There's like pretty, you know, just normal people. And 
I'm not just talking about man in the street, just people who are hosting shows and things and starring and things, and they're just, they're not glamorous and pretty, whatever. They <laughs> just, might be chubby. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, the UK is about the size of the state of Illinois, right? So you don't have a lot of people to choose from, one thing. And then you, you can't be surprised when the show business people know each other. Like, of course, Pink Floyd knows the guy who shoots, you know, that show, because they're all like Omega Factor, yeah. same apartment building. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, they're all crammed up in there in London or whatever city it is. Yeah. <laughs> Did I understand that we have a small, small number of UK followers that we're alienating? It's smaller <laughs> now, probably after that. <laughs> Look, I love the UK. I will say Edinburgh. Well, you should definitely watch Omega Factor because <laughs> it's all Edinburgh. If you love Edinburgh, you're going to love Omega Factor. You, you don't even have to have the sound on. You can just... They're just walking all over, wandering on the streets. It's got a great theme song. It's like a harpsichord or something. It sounds like electronic, but it's I think it's just a harpsichord or a clavichord. Perhaps played by Rick Wright. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> that's who. That's who they knew. That's who you get to. Rick Wright, right? He's like, sure. That's I hate these guys. Yeah. Just whatever <laughs> one you want. Money, time. Just take it. He was the first one to quit, right? I'm not totally up on my Pink Floyd trivia, but I'm pretty sure he wasn't an official member of the band by the time they were doing the live performances of The Wall, those few. I think so, because Waters could play piano, so he didn't need keyboardist. Yeah, so it's a Bob Ezrin thing. I feel like somebody else was playing piano on some of The Wall. I'm trying to remember oh. who. Hmm. I think I read a book about Pink Floyd, so I'm enough of a fan to read a whole book about the history of Pink Floyd, but I don't... I don't care that much. I'm just like, uh, okay. Well, you care more than me, and I thought I cared a lot. But uh, my, like my my way of caring is I just listen to the albums incessantly. I don't like study up on whether or not one of them stabbed the other one. I don't, you know, it's like I really don't want to know that stuff. I learned at an early age when I met Steve Dahl to never meet your heroes. They're always going to let you down. Steve Dahl was like, he could barely look at me when they introduced me to him. You know, is that some bar meet and greet thing? And and I was like, okay, I just want to listen to and enjoy the entertainment people. I don't want to meet them. I don't want to know who they are. I don't want to know what they do. I remember in Champagne, I think it was Gary Meyer and I don't think Steve Dahl. It was the other guy that he was yeah. had partnered with, and they there was a meet and greet there, and we went to it. And Rose said something to Gary Meyer. My wife said something to Gary Meyer, and he was just kind of like, yeah. So, <laughs> just like, oh, you're, you know, you've been a really important part of my life or something like that. It was just like, okay, thanks. <laughs> it's just like so. Now you know how our fans feel, yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> they need us. That was my <laughs> yeah. question. Has anybody ever come up to you, Rick, and said something of that equivalent to you? Yeah, I try to be, I try to be better about it. I definitely have problems with it because I don't like compliments, and I think they're wrong usually. <laughs> you know? It's like... No, just just the way it is when you're a creative person, it's really hard to take a compliment sometimes if you especially if somebody tells you that the record they love the most by your band is the one you hate the most. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like I can't I can't listen to this record. I just hear everything that's wrong with it and think to myself, why didn't we record this record again? And somebody will say, Oh, this is this is your best record. I love it and love it. And so I'll just go, Yeah, thank you. So that's all you have to do is you just have to say thank you. 
and smile. Whenever any anybody came up to me, you know, it was like with full of praise. I just I don't want to hear it. Just go talk to Rick. <laughs> don't even look at me. It's different for us though because it doesn't happen that often. I think for somebody right. who ha- it happens to every day, it's got to be a huge pain in the ass. You know, it's like yeah. I've heard stories. What somebody's told a, a Paul McCartney story. It's like a super famous person who was eating dinner with Paul McCartney, and they said can I take a picture with you? And Paul McCartney said, well, make your choice. You're either a friend or a fan. It was basically wow. like, are you, are you going to treat me like a human being or are you going to be, you know, everybody else? And so they didn't, <laughs> they didn't do a picture, but it's like that, that kind of stuff where it's just like, you have to basically say there's everybody else and then they're the people that I actually want to be around and, and want to interact with as a human being. Not that I, my heart bleeds for rich and famous people, but I do understand why they can come off as assholes because at some point <laughs> you have no normal human interaction at all in the world. Yeah. And so, Oh, yeah, 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 totally. And this is the thing is uh, just thinking about Marathon Man. So there's a moment in Marathon Man where there's a guy, a really fit guy running and he passes him by and then Dustin Hoffman tries to catch him and that guy is Treat Williams, if you know who Treat <laughs> Williams is. And I, I think Jim was there. It's like one of the first times we were in New York, I remember walking down the street and then seeing this guy and I recognized him and we had a moment of recognition and he looked at me and then all of a sudden I was like, oh no, that's Treat Williams. I don't know him. But he had that moment too where it was like, oh, this is a person I know. So he's famous at the time. You know, not, not everybody knows who Treat Williams is, but that's got to be weird too where it's like there are moments where you see someone and you th- you see in them that moment of recognition. And I felt like he had that moment too where it was like, oh, is this somebody I know? And then he realized, no, this is just somebody who recognized me. And that's got to be so messed up too. I had a similar moment, but it was flipped. I had a real rough month on a project and I took the project team out to a really nice Italian dinner in Los Angeles. And we go to this really nice restaurant and they're all sitting down and I'm about to sit down and I look across the room and I see this just stunning woman, beautiful woman across the room. And I just take a moment, look at her. She looks at me, locks eyes with me and goes, hey, and like starts running from across the room. And I mean, this woman looks like a starlet and she starts running across the room dragging some guy behind her and everybody at my table like sees what's going on and she's far across the room and I'm like I don't know who this is I don't know what I'm going to do when this confrontation happens this is this is wild and the people at the table start to notice her and they're looking at the guy she's with and they start staring at me like why holy shit why do these people know Chris and I'm like who is this? Who is this person? Who is this? And she's like coming closer and closer and closer and closer. Finally, she, I'm like face on with her. And she's like, how are you? And I'm like, Ashley, how are you? And I give her this big hug. And she uh, turned out to be somebody who I had met prior. And all these, I look back at the table and all of the people that I was at dinner with were staring at me. Now, Ashley is an actress and she's been on several shows. You know, this was early in her career. And I was like, do they recognize her from her shows and she's like and this is my fiance Topher and it was Topher Grace from uh from that <laughs> 70s show and I was like completely oblivious to him because all he was trying to do was figure out who she was and I was like oh, oh nice to meet you and then kind of pushed him back it was like well it was just so great to see you uh thanks for coming over you know she's like great and I just sort of ushered away because I was so freaked out by 
someone who had recognized me so clearly that I didn't immediately recognize, which my wife will say if, if she saw, if I were walking down the street in New York and she was walking down the street in New York and it was out of context, I'd just walk right by her and not even look at her yeah. or notice her. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, that's my problem too. It's like everybody I know. It's context. If somebody shows up in a, in the wrong place, in the wrong circle, my brain kind of freezes up. It's like, and if it's somebody I really know, then I'll recognize them. But sometimes it's just like, why? Why would this person even be here? Why would I know that they would show up? Yeah, yeah. Context is very important. Yeah, I completely missed Treat Williams. I mean, we were walking down the street. It was in yeah Manhattan, and Rick. It was like Rick was like. Did you see? Did you see who that was? I was like, that was Treat Williams. I was like, what? I was like, completely where, missed it. Where would yeah, you have would. recognized him? So, if what what context would have it made sense for you to see Treat Williams? Like hair. I remember hair. <laughs> the movie Hair. So, that's what I think of. Treat Williams is from Hair. Yeah. I'm trying to think what else I saw him in. So later if you, on. if Jim was in that movie, he would have recognized him. <laughs> is that? I, did I misunderstand the question? What was the question? <laughs> you got it. No, you answered it correctly. What else, what else have you, next question, what else have you seen, Jim? What else is on your list? Yeah, I don't really have anything else. All right, I'll go through my stuff quickly. I've, I've got some music that Please. I, listen, I listen to. Please go through it quickly, Chris, after <laughs> spending an hour and a half listening to what I had to say. And <laughs> what you guys have to say always had to say. is a good, uh, I, I wouldn't mind listening and never sharing. It's always good. I listened to a band called Gang of Four. I loved it. Uh, it was like a slow Minutemen. I I actually uh, enter, entertainment <laughs> entertainment was a great record, but I thought the second one was even better. And um, I don't know if you guys have checked it out lately, but it sounds a lot like the Minutemen. The second record does. Doctor Feelgood uh, with Wilco Johnson. I loved it. You know, it reminded me a lot of the Replacements. Uh, particularly sorry, Ma, I forgot to take out the trash. But then there's this one song, Dr. Feelgood song, where they go, yeah, na 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 And it's the exact hook from You're My Favorite Thing right before he goes into the chorus. Hmm. And I was like, uh-oh, I caught you stealing that, Mr. Westerberg. <laughs> I listened to the band Japan, and it was funny. I listened to Adolescent Sex, which was their first record, Oh, yeah, and that's not the one you need to listen to for the Duran Duran comparison. Right, because right, I was like, the... this isn't sound like Duran Duran. And it opened actually with the same keyboard wind sound as my band used to open and close our last record. I was like, oh, my God, we've ripped <laughs> off Japan. And I thought it was great. Like It was sort of sleazy synth with a lot of guitar, and it felt more like Hanoi Rocks than Duran Duran. But then I listened. So I started listening like first record, last record, second record, second to last record. And I could see how the, the Duran Duran stuff clearly in the later days. But I didn't like that singer as much as I liked. I loved the first Japan record. I wasn't so keen on the later years. Because even the keyboards in those first records are fantastic. But the guitars overpower the keyboards. Um, yeah, and I realized I call him David Sylvian, but it's Sylvain, right? Sylvian is, I think, what's what's the keyboard or the guitarist from the New York Dolls is... Sylvain, Sylvain, right? So I always say David Sylvain instead of Sylvian or something like that. Yeah, great, great band. I watched uh, Knowing. I thought it was an interesting take on the Steven Spielberg boring disaster Close Encounters. And I also thought it was the most sincere sci-fi film I've ever seen. And those apocalyptic scenes were fantastic. Yeah, I, I love the, yeah, the 
disaster scenes. I watched Next. Knowing I thought was arguably entertaining, Next was terrible. Based on the novel The Golden Man by Philip K. Dick. I had no idea. Oh, wow. The ending was stolen by the film Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 2. So, and you know, Stephanie Meyer wrote the whole Twilight series as a Harry Potter fan fiction. So my question is, was Breaking Dawn Part 2 next fan fiction? <laughs> I'll let the audience answer, answer on our social media sites, please, audience. And then Julianne, Julianne Moore was inexplicably terrible in that movie. Uh, watch the Cobra Man episodes of Common Writer. It amazed me that you watched this show, Jim. It reminded me of like when we were kids and you just didn't have a lot of options on TV. You'd sit there and watch Common Writer like day, out, day in and day out because there's nothing else to watch. And then I was thinking about that. I was thinking about the channels we had at our disposal. You guys tell me if I've missed one. Two, five, seven, nine, eleven, thirty-two, forty-four, sixty-four. I don't. I don't even remember sixty-four. That was later, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, sixty. MV sixty. Right. That was the music video show. Was on sixty. Right. Yeah. MV sixty. Sixty-six too. Yeah. That was, that was later. later yeah. 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 But yeah, definitely. Like Common Rider would have been on Channel forty-four. Definitely. Right. It's a Channel 44. They had like Ultraman was on Channel 44. Yeah, I watched a lot of Ultraman. Along with the White Sox. (laughs) White Sox and Ultraman. That's Channel 44. (laughs) Go White Sox. (laughs) Yes. How dare you? I'm going to edit that out. (laughs) Uh, Last Man on Earth and Omega Man. Actually, I was really excited because Omega Man had the engineering building from the Warner Brothers lot used as a makeshift hospital in it. I was just excited to spot that set. There's a moment in Omega Man you can actually see if you if you do something totally nerdy and just basically slow down or just rewind every time there's like a city shot, you know how they shot all those scenes of the abandoned Los Angeles, yeah. you know, in the early morning. Sometimes you can see a car go by if you look carefully in those wide <laughs> shots. I was watching. I think I saw one. When I thought about Last Man on Earth, I started thinking about, oh, Last Man Standing. And then I thought about those two series. So you have Last Man on Earth goes to Omega Man, goes to I Am Legend. And then you have Yojimbo that goes to Fistful of Dollars that goes to Last Man Standing, directed by Walter Hill, who's owed an apology by Richard Attenborough. And I thought it was interesting that both franchises' middle, the middle movie, has an American tough guy who turned into a nut job, Clint Eastwood and, and um, Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston, yeah, right-wing kind of guys, yeah. And Omega Man takes place in 2000... Oh, no, Soylent Green, I watched, 2022. So we're just two years Ooh, away from Soylent okay. Green. We're getting close to Soylent <laughs> wow. Green year. That's great. <laughs> and Dick Van Patten was in Soylent Green. I thought that was cool. Oh, I um, forgot about that. Joseph uh, Cotton, too, right, is the millionaire at the beginning. right. <laughs> that they break and, into his house. And then I watched Friday the 13th part um, 3, 4, and 5. And that in Friday the 13th Which part, one is that? What happens in that one? <laughs> well, in Friday the 13th part 5, a kid in a, a mental hospital goes crazy and chops up another kid uh, with an axe. They haul the kid who with the axe away, and an ambulance driver shows up to pick up, his, to pick up this dead kid who got chopped up. And the ambulance driver goes crazy, and he knows that Tommy, 
the kid who killed Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th Part 4 is staying at the mental hospital, so the ambulance driver dresses up like Jason and kills everybody one on one by one, hoping they'll blame it on Tommy. And then at the end, they kill the ambulance driver, and Jason is never in the film. Wow. <laughs> yep. So the Halloween 3 of the Friday the 13th series. Carol Locatell is in Friday the 13th Part 5. You may remember her as Ethel from Sharky's Machine. She plays one of the women of the night. And she also wears the same, the exact same wig to play Mabel. Oh, wait, no. She was Mabel in Sharky's Machine. She was Ethel in Friday the 13th Part 5. And then I watched um, <laughs> The Killing Fields. Have you guys seen The Killing Fields? The, wow. the old one? The one from 30 or 40 years ago? Sam Watterson and... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's been a long time. John Malkovic. Since I've... Yeah, it was the guy great. who won the he won the did he win the Academy Award Best Supporting Actor the guy who played the the guy who actually was yeah had experienced the whole thing was in the movie he did yeah, his name. yeah he won the Academy I, Award yeah I thought it was a non romantic love story between two human beings in the midst of a systemic hate machine a beautiful film like that scene at the very end where they are reunited played just like a love story. And I thought, hmm. we need more movies that show that two people can be in love with one another without it being romantic. There was a horrifying and bizarre synth soundtrack by Mike Oldfield. Have you guys heard of Mike Oldfield? Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. He, Tubular Bells. Tubular Bells, right, from The Exorcist. And have you seen this BBC performance on YouTube of Tubular Bells? Shot like the Raspberry Beret video? No, I haven't seen that no. one, no. Check it out. It's like chroma keyed. You know how in Raspberry Beret they like chroma key the background, but then they don't pay attention to what they're wearing, so the chroma key kind of comes out on all their yeah, jackets yeah. and stuff. They do the same thing in, in this awesome live performance of Tubular Bells. As we wrap up, guys, would you like to say what you're thankful for this week? Rick, what are you thankful this. for this week? This is the kind of thing I hate. It's like trying the, that, that thing where it's like, tell tell us you know, something good that happened to you today, tell us something bad and tell us something, yeah, uh, it's just like that introspective stuff. What am I thankful for? Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I, I think know, that's I, your I'm answer. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> I sound like a terrible person. I'm, no, I'm, I'm pretty thankful for what I have. I'm, I'm actually doing okay. Some rough stuff going on, but yeah, I'm thankful for my family and you know being able to talk to you guys. That's great. It's kept it's keeping me going. You know, I'm I'm a simple man. <laughs> I don't know if simple was the right term. <laughs> Jim, what are you thankful for? What do you think he's thankful for, Chris? <laughs> I, I'm thankful for uh, the uh, Sandhill Cranes. You know, they flew over. Today, yesterday, they started flying over. They migrate. In the spring, they go one direction, and then around Thanksgiving, you hear them. It's like, oh, here they are. They're like, they're kind of like geese. You know, they're, they fly in these big Vs, but they're giants. You know, they're way bigger than geese. And you hear them, they go, they make this crazy noise. And it's around this time. I always forget about them. And then it's like right around this time, it's like, oh, yeah, it's just before Thanksgiving. And they hear these, this crazy cooing noise and then you look out go outside and there are these giant birds flying they, they fly really high up so you can barely see them but they're these huge formations and 
they make this warbling noise that is they're definitely not geese you know so but. and it tells you winter's coming it's time to change the ticking in your bed <laughs> that's beautiful oh I, I forgot to say what our next movie is our next movie is the ballad of cable hoke by uh sam peckinpah thank you for joining me this evening i'm very thankful for you both and i'll also say that i'm thankful for delicious Lido's pizza I quite like the personal pound of shrimp, or if I'm watching my waistline, I'll get the shrimp dinner and make a shrimp coleslaw sandwich out of that delicious baguette slice. It's exactly as the saying goes. Say it with me, fellas. It's all good at Lido's. At Lido's. I, I'm waiting to see the money that you got, some of that coming, coming towards me, the money you have obviously gotten. <laughs> Oh, I'll tell you what. There absolutely is a check from Lido's Pizza to me to advertise on this podcast. <laughs> Little pay- <laughs> Lido's, Lido's Paola. Lost and Found and Rewound is fully funded by Lost and Found and Rewound Foundation Funds. Lost and Found and Rewound does not use crowdfunding because our listeners have better things to do with their funding. There's no need to post reviews of Lost and Found and Rewound because our listeners have more valuable things to do with their time. In all sincerity, thank you for listening to the show. We truly appreciate it. Lotus Pod.